Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 is our sermon text for this morning. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. It is inerrant and infallible, perfect to accomplish all of God's purposes. He gives it to us, his people, for our good as our only rule of faith and life. Let us give our attention to its reading. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the roots of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn. And burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray as we look to God's word. So, Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For your Son's sake. Amen. Maybe you're getting ready for a bit of a post-holiday jolt. There are many ways in which sometimes we kind of get out of our normal rhythms. And perhaps for some of you, right after Christmas, there's a bit of of a jolt back into normal life. Maybe you wait till after the new year and January 2nd or someday around there, you realize, okay, we're back to... To normal life. I know for certainly for students and for college students, this is an acute feeling. You kind of check out for an entire month and then you go back the first day and you get all these syllabi and you're wondering how in the world uh, you're going to get all of that work done before the end of the semester. And the, the Gospel of Matthew is a bit jolting for us at the beginning here of chapter 3. Uh, the Christmas presentation of the account in Matthew is not all warm and fuzzy, of course. We have Herod, with his uh, despicable act towards the 
the babies in Bethlehem and the region surrounding, but we're sort of unexpectedly launched all the way into the beginning of the days of Jesus' ministry in chapter 3 with this account of John the Baptist. And it certainly isn't a, a warm and fuzzy and welcoming message. It is utterly serious. And it begins with a serious and earnest declaration. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Gospel of Matthew, as we have said, presents Jesus as the the true king of Israel. And his kingdom is one that will be central to this gospel throughout. And so John the Baptist comes to declare that there is a nearness of a new manifestation of this kingdom that we are to be aware of. And just like with Christmas, if we don't rightly understand really what's going on in the message of Christmas and the account of Christmas, if we get that wrong, it's really not good news. It is bad news because there is an all-powerful king who is coming to set up his kingdom. That kingdom is near and that kingdom is an exclusive kingdom. We'll unpack that a little bit this morning. So here's what I want us to consider together today. Since the kingdom of God has come and is coming, we must prepare ourselves for the coming of the king his second advent, with repentance and with spirit-wrought righteousness. Since the kingdom of God has come and is coming, we must prepare ourselves for the coming of the king with repentance and with spirit-wrought righteousness. First, let's consider this John the Baptist figure known to some of us. We prefer the title John the Baptizer. Both of them work fine. But let's consider him who becomes in many ways a picture of a lot of the things we're going to be talking about today. We're going to move questions about the baptism of John to the next time we look at the Gospel of Matthew when we consider the baptism of Jesus. We're going to push aside some of those questions. There's a lot for us us to learn about the baptism of John and how it relates to Christian baptism and the things that were going on in the baptism of Jesus. We'll deal with all of that. Uh, Today, let's consider John and particularly his message that he declares. All true kings have a herald, someone who announces the presence and the coming of the king. And that is what John the Baptist fulfills for Jesus. His task was one that was laid out, prophesied in different places in the Old Testament. The one that we are told about is Isaiah chapter 40. Make straight uh, the way for the king. Prepare the way for him. Isaiah 40 is a picture of Yahweh leading his people into the promised land. It's once again that picture of a second exodus that God will bring his people back into the land of blessedness and he will set them there and they will enjoy a blessedness with their God. The return from Babylon that happens towards the end of the Old Testament, uh, that was only a type of what was to come in Jesus Christ. He brings about that great and final exodus, of course, liberating us from our sin and leading us into the promised land of salvation where we are expectantly await the consummation of all of these things with the new heavens and the new earth. John the baptizer is a picture of many things. He he paints a picture for us, a living picture. First, he's in the wilderness. The wilderness, as we've talked about before, that time in the world, a very dangerous place, a place where you did not want to be. We have, uh, we've created for ourselves a, a society of so many comforts that we actually 
go out and seek out some of these dangers of the wilderness now. And we have kind of survival challenges and there's a whole culture out there uh, around those kinds of things. But the, w- the wilderness was somewhere you did not want to be. Exposed to the elements, exposed to thieves and robbers, exposed to animals who needed to feed themselves so that they could survive. John is out here in the wilderness. And the picture that that paints is one of barrenness and one of helplessness. The the, the wilderness becomes, in many ways, uh, John's declaration that our hearts are that way. In and of ourselves, we're like barren deserts. John's uh, diet, his appearance, and his whole manner of life, in many ways, paints a picture of rebuke to the Israel of his day. His clothing... He is not trying to present himself in a way that would make people think he's important. They didn't have fashion and style the way that we do today, but there still was a desire by many to present themselves as being people of importance. And John has rejected that. He eats foods that are not the normal kind of cuisine for most people. He has a nomad status. We're told about his belt because he, he is then able to, to gird up his clothing and to move from place to place. And people found security in setting down roots somewhere. One New Testament scholar says this, John was a living protest against all selfishness and self-indulgence. Hence also against that frivolousness, carelessness, and false security with which many people were rushing toward their doom. This is his assessment and in many ways his condemnation of much of the life that he was seeing in Israel. And how relevant is that for us today? The kind of protest, the kind of rebuke that we see in John. Protesting, rebuking all the selfishness and self-indulgence. How much do we see that in our world? Also against frivolousness and carelessness and false security with which many people were rushing towards their doom. Reminds us that this message that John declares has so much relevance for our world today, for us to consider. John, in fulfilling Isaiah chapter 40, brings to us the the recognition of what Isaiah 40 is all about. Isaiah 40 is a chapter which Certainly at the beginning of the chapter, the second half of the chapter is a great declaration of the greatness and the might of God. Beautiful chapter. The Lord is the everlasting God. But Isaiah 40 prophesies that things must be set right. The crooked must be made straight. Uh, uh, That which is up and down must must be made level. The uneven ground must be made level. The rough places a plane. There's a, a recreation that's going on as well. And it's all about the glory of the Lord. So John paints this picture that things need to be set right and things need to be made new. And then, as I said, we're not going to uh, dig too deeply into this, but we have to at least recognize that he is baptizing. And he's not baptizing converts to Judaism. He's not baptizing only proselytes, those who want to become God-fearing Gentiles, want to recognize some goodness in the God of Israel. He is calling all of the covenant community to come out to him and to be baptized. This would have been, of course, most shocking for the the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. John, in his declaration, is saying, you all need to repent and to be baptized. And what's going on behind that is everyone needs to be cleansed. 
there is a need that you all, that we all have to be cleansed and to be cleansed from our sins. These are truths that we still need to hear. Our hearts are like barren deserts. Our pull towards false security, to be caught up in frivolousness and carelessness, to act in selfishness and self-indulgence, to forget that we need to be set right and to be made new. John's message is so relevant for us today. Without our Savior, our hearts are like barren deserts. Our lives are the uneven and crooked highways that need to be made straight. And John makes very clear as he looks to the king and the coming kingdom, he makes very clear how this problem of barrenness and hopelessness is to be dealt with from the human side. He's preparing the way for the king and he urges his listeners to make themselves ready through repentance. Make yourselves ready through repentance. What about this repentance? Well, first, we see that it's the kingdom's nearness that necessitates proper preparation being made. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is near. There's a a ticking clock, and time is running short. This king is coming, and you need to be ready. There's only so much time that God will allow for people to get their affairs in order. In the days of Noah and the flood, sin had permeated throughout the whole world, And God said that he cannot stand the sinfulness of man any longer. His days will be 120 years. He tells Noah that 120 years from that time is when this flood will come and wipe out life on the earth. And this reminds us that we're dealing with something that is utterly serious business. We are dealing with something that we cannot play around with. And when we deal with spiritual truths like this... And when we deal with the the declaration that the kingdom is near, and as we'll see in just a moment, the kingdom is exclusive, that we need to heed the words of Scripture, where it says, for instance, in Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found. There will come a time when the Lord will no longer be able to be found in his grace. So the kingdom's nearness necessitates that you make preparation. The kingdom's exclusivity necessitates that you make proper preparation. John does not mince words. There will be some who are left out of the kingdom, even those who have the proper external associations. Right? He's declaring these things to Israel. Those who would say, well, we have Abraham as, their fa- as our father. Right? And John says, don't presume to say unto yourselves, you have Abraham as your father. God will make children of Abraham by his grace and by his power. He can raise up children of Abraham out of these stones. The criterion that John proclaims is whether or not a tree produces good fruit. If not, it is thrown into the fire, the fire of hell. Matthew 3, verse 12 in our passage says, The axe is already at the root of the trees. The kingdom is near. And every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The kingdom is exclusive. Verse 12, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John's prophetic vision was that salvation... And judgment were going to come at the same time. So the king is coming. 
He brings the fullness of this kingdom. And he's going to bring salvation for those who have made proper preparation. And he's going to bring judgment simultaneously. In, uh, in seminary, they will teach you that this is called prophetic foreshortening. And uh, the illustration that helps us understand that is when you're driving down the highway somewhere where there's mountains. So somewhere out west, we'll say, Utah or, or Colorado. And you see two great mountains in the distance. And uh, they look like they're exactly side by side. But as you continue to drive, you notice that there is a distance between the two. And by the time you reach the first mountain, you realize you have many, many miles to go to get to the second one. That's prophetic foreshortening from John's place of where he's seeing. He's seeing salvation and he's seeing judgment. And they look to be about the same. And God did not grant to John that he would see that Christ would come in his first advent and there would be a great amount of time for those glad tidings to be published throughout the world before that final day of judgment. John has a bit of a harsh message, people would say. And so we have to deal with that. Is John's message too harsh? Is John... And the way that he presents these things, is it not, is it unloving? Well, think about this. Is it not supremely loving? And is it not supremely merciful to tell people the reality of the situation that they are in and to announce to them their way of escape? This, why it, this is why it does no good for the church to go along with the spirit of the age and tell people that they are fine in their sin and to tell people that they don't have to worry about dealing with their sin or repenting of their sin. These are lies and they lead people to this fire that John is speaking about. And if we think John is too harsh, then how wonderful is God that he sends Christ and to come Uh, Not in salvation and judgment simultaneously, but he comes to accomplish redemption for us. And then he forestalls the day of judgment so that Christ's salvation may be declared through all the world. And many people might be brought in to the people of God. And God raising up from the stones, as it were, children of Abraham. John the Baptist himself will have a difficult time with this as he as he realizes Jesus is preaching mercy and the grace and the forgiveness, uh, he will actually send his disciples to Jesus at one point and, and he'll say, are you the Christ? He has such confidence here at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And then when Jesus is healing, and proclaiming forgiveness, and he's touching those who are unclean, and John will have to come into a fuller understanding of what Jesus is doing in his kingdom. So what about this repentance? What does it look like? Well, uh, one, one theologian says this, repentance is a, is a radical change of mind and heart that leads to a complete turnaround of your life. Repentance is not simply admitting that you have the status of a sinner. It's not saying, yeah, I'm, I'm sinful. That's not repentance. It's a radical change of mind and heart that leads to a complete turnabout of life. The Westminster Catechism says repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. So already we have recognizing your sin 
and then you know and understand the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin. So now we're dealing with the affections. You're grieving over your sin. You're hating your sin. Does turn from it unto God. Now there's an act of the will. You turn from your sin unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. It encapsulates all that we are, the mind and the heart and the will. Repentance begins with recognizing a sinfulness of self. John's rebuke of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is likely a rebuke of how they were trying to avoid God's judgment. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? There John is likely looking at the Pharisees and Sadducees and saying, who told you that it was a good idea to try and avoid the judgment of God through your own attempts at righteousness? Who told you that the path you're walking down in trying to accomplish your righteousness before God was a good idea. Who put you on that path? Repentance begins with recognizing the sinfulness, the hopelessness of self. Repentance continues with the abandonment of self. Leave yourself behind and embracing another. Not finding the ultimate fulfillment in yourself. Those who wished to hear John To be baptized by John had to go out to him in the wilderness. There's a beautiful picture that's painted for us there. They leave it all behind and they go out to this place that's thought of as dangerous. That's thought of as risky to go out into this wilderness. But they leave it all behind because they say this is where truth is found. This is where salvation is found. And in Matthew, one of the themes, one of the great themes is going to be the cost of discipleship and the call of the gospel. If Christ is the king that he is, then we would gladly leave it all behind if it meant we get to have Jesus Christ. We find true comfort in him, away from the comforts uh, that we so often convince ourselves are good enough for us. You recognize the sinfulness of self, You continue with the abandonment of self and the embrace of another and then culminates in the selfless pursuit of new obedience. That is repentance. But with John's condemnation of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, calls them a brood of vipers, and he says, uh, calls them to produce fruit that keeps with repentance, we see there is a, a fruit of righteousness that must accompany repentance. That there is a, uh, this clear recognition God is not going to be mocked here there is going to be something that is of evidence in the life of God's people who come to him in repentance and we need to recognize that that life in Jesus Christ is to look different than life outside of Jesus Christ too often we miss that We go to God's word and what we see time and time and time again is that we are to be a people who are set apart. We're not to be pulled in to the moral laxity of our age. We're not to be pulled in to the moral revolution that continually claims more and more people each year, even each month, each week, sucked into the false gospel of the age, that fulfillment is within ourselves and you need to, to find the true self within you and live according to the law of that true self. Gospel of grace has come to Jesus Christ and live in him, but produce fruits in keeping with repentance. And the way that he says that to the Pharisees and the Sadducees tells us something about the kind or the process that this fruit comes about. 
in keeping with repentance. With repentance, we acknowledge that we can't do it ourselves. With repentance, we're acknowledging that if we look inside, there is a hopelessness. There is no way that we can produce these fruits that God would demand. So as John says that, and as he brings, as we bring this, at the end of this passage around, we see that he is pointing to someone who is greater than he is. The Holy Spirit And more specifically, the one who can win for us and give to us the Holy Spirit is our answer for how do we produce the fruits of righteousness that keep with repentance. Let's return to the picture of Isaiah chapter 40. Yahweh leads us into the promised land. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11, he says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Why does God use the picture of sheep for us? Sheep, if they get lost, they can't find their way back. If a wolf comes, they can't protect themselves. They don't have the foresight and the wherewithal to store up food for themselves. They can only eat what is put in front of them. The helplessness, the hopelessness of the sheep is a picture of how Salvation is all of God's grace and it's all of his doing. John says, there is coming one after me who is greater than I. I'm not even worthy to be a slave, he says. You think that I'm preaching a message that is true and life-changing. Wait till you see the one who is coming after me because he is going to do something that I cannot do. He is going to save you. He is going to redeem you. He is going to make a way for your salvation. And that is the hope of the gospel. That God does what man cannot do. We cannot do it. And God does it because we cannot. Malachi chapter 3 is the other passage One of the other famous passages speaking of John the Baptist who will come before the Messiah and then speaking of the word, uh, speaking of the work of the Messiah Beginning in verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That's John. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? None of us could if we tried to stand on our own. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Don't miss the order of that prophecy. The Messiah will purify you. He will purify the sons of Levi. And refine them like gold and silver. Then they will bring offerings. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. The greatness of the gospel of grace is that redemption, cleansing happens at the beginning. And then we are enabled to bring our offerings to the Lord. John Calvin says this. As he freely pardons our sins, Christ And delivers us by his mercy from the condemnation of eternal death. So also does he form us anew to his image. 
that we may live unto righteousness. As he freely adopts us for his sons, so he regenerates us by his spirit, that our life may testify that we do not falsely address him as father. He renews us so that our lives do not testify that we falsely address him as father. Isn't that interesting? Our lives say something about whether or not we're falsely calling God our father or whether it is true. So we are to make preparation through repentance and righteousness. We make preparation by daily living a life of repentance, daily dying to ourselves. Our whole life is taken up in repentance, all the Christian life. Dying to ourselves daily. Renewing ourselves in the life of Jesus Christ. Daily living unto God in union with Christ and walking by the Spirit. We are to make preparations by being busy about the work of the Lord. The call to discipleship is serious business. There are many parables all throughout the Gospels that speak of the servants being ready for when the king comes again. Luke 12. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. We spoke the other morning about getting ready for the wedding day. And what is that garment that we are trusting to wear on the day that our king comes again? Be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Cover yourself. By faith in his work. And then, are you growing in grace? Are you being changed more and more into the image of Christ? Are you growing in your dependence upon him? John is a herald of the king. He announces his way. Those who preach and proclaim the gospel today are heralds of the king. They announce this great news of salvation. But there is a way that all of us become heralds of the king. By our lives, we announce the presence of this kingdom. This kingdom has come, and it is coming. We become heralds of who this king is and the reality of his reign. So the seriousness seriousness with which we approach our spiritual lives testifies that it is an utterly serious matter. Those who know Christ and love him, are devoted to him, know that this is serious business. The abandonment of self in a world that does nothing but celebrate the self testifies that whatever we're searching for can't be found in ourselves. We want to find hope. We want to find comfort. And the way that God's people abandon the self is a testament in an age that glorifies and worships the self. The fruit that we bear testifies that our God and his gospel are totally real and utterly powerful. The beginning of the gratitude section of our catechism says, As we grow in righteousness, each of us may be assured in himself of his faith by the fruits thereof. Understand and know that God is working in you as you give yourself to him in dependence and faith and repentance. And then, of course, By our godly walk, it goes on to say, our neighbors may be one for Christ. The fruit that we bear becomes a herald of the king. And then finally, our unshifting hope in our coming king testifies that no matter how much this life or this world changes, our God never changes and his purposes will never be thwarted. We change, the circumstances of our lives change, but our hope 
never changes. And our hope points to an unchanging God and in purposes that will not be thwarted. Our king has come and he is coming again. We make preparations through repentance and through spirit-wrought righteousness, knowing and understanding that as we live into that more and more, we ourselves in our lives announce the reality of this king and his coming, that he comes and that he is coming again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for your word and the truth found therein. We pray that by your spirit you would bring it home to us and cause it to bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives. Fill our lives with repentance and spirit-wrought righteousness, not the kind of, of fruit that men try to bear in and of their own efforts, but increase our dependence upon you. Bring all of these things about in a world uh, that so desperately needs your hope and your grace, your salvation. And uh, we thank you for, even in the midst of uh, a serious uh, declaration that there will be judgment, that how good you are to make uh, your grace known and that you're a God who delights to show mercy. You do not delight in the judgment of the wicked and yet you will not be mocked and righteousness will stand forever. So hasten our hearts and our minds unto that day in Christ's name. Amen.